Welcome to the In Common Podcast. This is Hatley Post. This insight episode comes from full episode 52 with Jessica Gephardt. Jessica is an assistant professor of environmental science at American University, where her research focuses on feedbacks between globalized food systems and the environment. Jessica talks with Michael and Stefan about how the different ways that seafood catch and commodities are reported leads to discrepancies in trade data numbers and the complexity of untangling the different trade pathways to get a clearer picture of global seafood trade. This is the In Common Podcast. It is actually equally hard to trace seafood through trade. Um, and that is, is where I wound up spending a lot of time thinking about, about seafood trade and um, how we can connect that trade data to the environmental impacts on one side and the sort of human outcomes and food security outcomes on the other side. Um, I guess to, to go into a little more specificity on that, uh, the sea- global production data, if you look at seafood production, it's generally reported by species. So you'll have like Atlantic salmon and coho salmon. But then when you go to trade data, it gets reported in terms of commodities, things like salmon fillets and canned salmon. And so you can have one species that goes into more than one commodity, and any given commodity can be made up of more than one species um, sort of as, as a group. So it creates this, this mix of the data that makes it really hard to see any signal of um, how do changes in consumption maybe drive this in environmental change, or how does environmental change sort of propagate through these networks and create food security disruptions. So you have this um, big problem and that's that's been one piece of something I've been working on for a while is trying to uh, resolve that data to understand this in environment food security uh, impacts. Okay, so this is a really great segue to this paper that you wrote in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Um, in that paper entitled to create sustainable seafood industries, the United States needs a better accounting of imports and exports. I mean, we're, you're kind of, you're headed in the same direction in this paper as you, it sounded like you were just now in, in talking about, okay, we need better data on what's going where, we need to account for this better. And you use this example in the beginning of that paper that I wanna ask you about. So I have two questions. One, in the beginning of this paper, you quote this figure that what the U.S. imports 90% of all of the, the seafood that's consumed there. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's a statistic that's been uh, floating around for a while um, that it gets repeated again and again that the U.S., that 90% of the seafood consumed in the U.S. is imported, which implies on the flip side that only 10% is, is from here. Right. And that- so... Um, the first question is, why is that misleading? So to essentially ask you to talk a bit about what the argument was in that paper. And then relatedly, why is it important to actually do this accounting? Right? Because I feel like the other part of that paper was then, okay, but in the end, we care about like sustainability or resilience. What's the connection that I feel like you were starting to get to already, but I just wanted to make it transparent. What is the connection between better accounting practices and better trade data? and sustainability, however we might want to define it. Yeah, sure. So I'll start with uh, that paper and a little bit of the motivation, which gets to some of why this number matters in particular. So I've been hearing that number floating around for a while. It's 
really commonly used in news and um, people start out a lot of presentations and papers quoting that to say just how dependent the U.S. is on, on these foreign seafood um, producers. I myself, though, could not reproduce that number. So as I was digging into all of this trade data and really trying to get at it, I was not getting 90%. And I, as a grad student, I just assumed that meant that I was wrong, that I was missing something. And I kind of like, <laughs> yeah, right. just like buried it in the back of my head and like moved on. I'm like, I, there's something I don't know what it is, but I'll just, I'll deal with that later. Um, but then under, under the Trump administration, more recently, he's, uh, this administration has been really focused on these trade, these trade balances and trade deficits very broadly. Um, so this administration has been concerned with just what's the accounting? Are we, are we consuming more of our own stuff or more of other people's stuff? And that's been kind of their, their approach to trade policy. Um, so in line with that, this number of 90% of seafood consumed in the U.S. was getting rolled out at kind of higher and higher levels. And you had uh, Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross repeating it and it showing up in, uh, in a recent executive order. And, and so this, this really got me saying, okay, this is starting to become a motivation and it's showing up in these presentations about how we're going to prioritize U.S. seafood trade policy. And this is, uh, this is being used as justification for us needing to do things differently. And so then I pulled that number back from the back of my head. I'm like, all right, I've got to figure out, like, how, where did this number come from? How did they get to it? And why can I not reproduce this number? Um, so that was quite a rabbit hole, but I found, I did figure out what, what the difference was. And it comes down to what's possibly the most boring thing imaginable, which is that um, production data gets reported in live weight, whole fish. So like a whole salmon. Trade data is reported in terms of the commodity weight. Um, so pounds of fillets, pounds of cans of, of salmon. And you have to use a conversion factor to get from one to the other. So that way you can make this apples to apples comparison of, um, of whole fish produced and, and whole fish exported and whole fish imported. So we apply these conversion factors um, to, to try to get to the, the apparent consumption. We, we don't measure consumption. We just take uh, production, subtract off our exports, and add on our imports. And that is the apparent consumption. So these numbers become really critical in it. And it turns out that the numbers that NOAA uses is really different than the numbers that um, the Food and Agriculture Organization or um, the EU uses. And so I, I went through to compare what these numbers are. And, um, and I would say that I think there are some issues with documentation and where those, the U.S.'s numbers came from. And they also just don't align very well with, with the kinds of products that we're now um, importing. And so as a result, you wind up with it looking like we are exporting a lot more like whole fish equivalent um, than, than we really are, most likely and bringing a lot more in. And that's kind of what sways the number uh, in a general sense. There is a second piece there though, which, which became really relevant to the trade war with China, which is that anything that gets exported from the US, if it is processed, it, it becomes an export and 
exported again from whatever country imported it, it becomes an export of that country. So in the case of China, if they import some pink salmon as frozen whole salmon and they export canned salmon back to the US or something, then, then it's going to look like that is a product of China, even if that fish was produced in the US. And China's actually doing a, a lot of um, processing of seafood. They're the number one processor of seafood in, in the world. And so they, and they are processing a good bit of US seafood. So we were looking at what's the additional effect of that seafood that's exported to China for processing and coming back in, which was then also exposed to the potential um, tariffs uh, for products coming from China. So I think that's the first answer. So you might need to remind me of the second question. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I also want to just respond to that. I mean, it's, that was the part of the paper that really struck me the most was this idea that um, we're in fact, and this is kind of what you, when people kind of talk about globalization writ large, not just about seafood, right? These are the stories you hear is like to, to put a car together, you need to visit like 13 different countries because the doors were made here and then put over there and then brought back here, et cetera. And it becomes kind of bewildering to the human brain just to think about, okay, how would you possibly account for all of these things? I mean, it reminds me of, I was talking to Stefan before the interview, this book called Ecological Intelligence by Daniel Goleman, where he's kind of trying to make this argument that we need to develop more of this ecological intelligence being this understanding of the impacts that our choices have as consumers potentially on the world around us. How do you actually get a sense of, all of the diffuse impacts, right, as an economist would call them externalities, that your decisions make. And, you know, my initial reaction to that is it just feels, as I said, it feels, it sounds bewildering to actually try to account for all this stuff because suddenly it's moving over here and then it's moving back there. And um, have you ever felt daunted in, in trying to, to wrangle this like hugely messy trade network? Oh my goodness, yes. Well, so this project of trying to disentangle it, I mean, it's it's been dragging on for years now. And every time I think I'm getting close, there's one one more thing that I feel like I need to account for. And um, now I have a data scientist who's working for me or working with me, um, Kelvin Graspe, and he's he's been great and he's been really helping me uh, get back to some of the, the details. And we're, I think now getting close, but every, like I said, I, sh I shouldn't swear to that, but um, hmm. we, so I, we're getting, we're, it is more complicated than I think anyone can really describe. And you can go down a lot of rabbit holes. We're trying to get the first pass. Interestingly though, we um, or funny enough, we had submitted a, an NSF proposal about developing um, a database and we put this together and tried to explain just how complicated it was. And one of the reviews came back was, it just doesn't seem that hard. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so, um, yeah, and so they're like, yeah, it, it, this seems like a simple problem. So it probably is not worth, worth funding. And um, so we need to, we do need to probably work on communicating these, these levels of, of, how, of just how challenging the problem is. Um, but it, it, think, so it is daunting, but I think we still, what we still need though, then is what's our first best guess? What's the starting point that we're trying to get beyond in order to understand um, where to prioritize data collection. We can't collect everything everywhere, but there are probably points that would really help improve our understanding a lot. Okay. I mean, do you think that perspective from this reviewer um, 
comes from the kind of the seduction of formal statistics, right? So they, I could see someone thinking, well, we have FAO, we have FAO stat, we've got formal statistics on this. Like, what more do you need? Download an Excel sheet. Yeah, I, I think so. And, um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's like you, you can't spend the whole time talking about uh, where, the, where the data issues are, but just one, one thing that's come up in, in the FAO data as we've, that we, we do use or bring together with other data to get these, some of these estimates is that there are a whole lot of countries that, that where more than 50% of the production they are reporting is just um, osteichthyes, which is broadly just bony fish. So all the bony fish just lumped together as their, as their production. Um, and then when you, when you look at the 200 and some trade codes there, they have this hierarchy and there are, um, and you have to figure out which species go in which. And so it, it, it becomes quite complicated but then beyond that, this, this issue of live weight conversion factors is kind of, um, it's a little bit of a nightmare and it becomes shocking that there, this, there are really not good data sets uh, for this at all. And it winds up being that the numbers used can vary by three times, which, you know, when you just look at, you know, uh, one versus three, it might not seem huge, but that's a multiplication factor. You're talking about saying that three times as much fish was was moving around, um, so that's it's pretty. Uh, it is it is a uh, shocking sort of the depths of of what we really don't know. And to me, that's it's kind of fun and interesting. I think to look at what are the things in the world around us that you would assume are just easily known because they're countable, when in fact, it there are underlying models and counting these things is really hard, especially at the global scale. Thanks for tuning in. The In Common Podcast is a partner project of the International Association for the Study of the Commons and the International Journal of the Commons. To explore more episodes of the podcast, as well as our blog, visit our website at www.incommonpodcast.org. Here you will also find a list of the members of our recently expanded team, as well as a link to our Patreon page, where you can make a small donation to help us cover our operating costs. You can also follow us on Twitter at InCommonPod. Thanks again.